You are listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our most recent weekend service located on our downtown Brea campus. We hope you are encouraged and strengthened from today's episode. Now for a timely message from Senior Pastor Kelly Fellows. We can navigate the challenges and the issues of life. Joy is something that God wants you to have every single day. And I know some of you go, there's no way that I can have joy every day. But there is. There is a way to even have joy in the difficult times. That's why when Jesus was here on earth, again, Jesus, God, fully God, fully man, when he was here on earth, he spoke truth, he spoke words of life, he healed, he delivered, he restored and redeemed. And when he was here, he made this statement saying, everything that I said was for a purpose. All these teachings, all these parables. Take a look what it says in John 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 11. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, On the screen, I have told you these things so that you will be filled. Everybody say filled. Filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, God doesn't want you just to have a speck of joy, a drop of joy. He wants it overflowing, topped off. His joy filling you up. The words of Jesus, they're listed in red in the Bible. He says he wants you to know joy. So as we're journeying through this book of Philippians through the the months of summer, here's a few things that you are going to glean from this journey. And if you're joining us online and maybe you're traveling right now, open, grab your Bible or grab your, your journal and open it up and begin to take notes on the book of Philippians. If you're out in the tent, please participate with us. Take a look at some of these things that we're going to experience and discover as we go through Philippians. First is we're going to learn how to have joy in difficult times. And boy, do we need that. We're also going to learn how joy sustains us when the path looks dry and lonely. Kind of like that picture you can imagine of Route 66 out in the middle of nowhere wondering, where is there water? Well, we feel that way in our life sometimes going, Lord, where's the relief? And God says he wants you to know joy that can be a sense of relief for you. How joy gives us strength to overcome obstacles. And finally, we're going to learn how to share joy with those who are broken down on the side of the road because they need a little joy in their joy tank as well. Last time, here's what we found out. Take a look on the screen just to kind of bring us up back up to speed. Uh, We took a little break for Father's Day, and here's what we learned the last time we were together. We looked at the book of Philippians, and we saw that the book of Philippians is a letter written to the Christian church in a town in a city called Philippi. And we mentioned and learned that Philippi was very similar to Orange County. It was influential. It was affluent. um, But the, the church, the Christian church, was beginning to experience persecution in this affluent community. And so Paul is writing to the church of Philippi under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage them. We we saw that it was written by Paul under or while he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it was written while Paul was in prison in a Roman prison around the year 61 AD. So this is contextually important for us to understand when this was being written to whom it was being written, but because it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is applicable to us today. It was applicable to us today. And here's where we're going to jump in in chapter one. We're going to spend this week and next week on chapter one, and then the following couple of weeks on two, and then the following on three, and then lastly, chapter four. 
As I looked at chapter 1, an image came to my mind as I was studying through chapter 1 of Philippians. And this was the image, and maybe many of you recognize this image. Take a look. It's a glass, and what would you say that glass has in it? Water. Water. And how, what is the condition of that glass? What would you say is the condition of this glass? It is empty, full. Right. The optimist. The optimist says the glass is half full, right? The pessimist says, well, the glass is half empty, right? The politician says this glass needs another stimulus right here. That's what the politician says. Give them some more. The paranoid person wonders, who drank that? Who did that? You know, the thrifty person says, let's save that. Let's save that for later. That's what the thrifty person says, right? You know, the computer specialist, the computer scientist looks at that, and they say, next year, the glass will be double the capacity. It'll be half as expensive. That's what the, the computer person says for all you computer nerds. The mother of three toddlers says, I don't care what it is. Just give me five minutes of peace with it, please. <laughs> five minutes of peace. And finally, the Dodgers fan looks at this and says, it's time for a beer run. <laughs> That's what the Dodger fan says. Hmm. Yeah, I might agree with the Dodgers fan. I don't know. Is it holy water? Is it holy water? No, I don't think so. It just came out of the tap. You know, a person's experiences, their personality, and their circumstances can influence how they view that glass of water, right? Their experiences. What have they been through? What hurts have they been through? What successes have they seen? That tends to influence how they see that water in that glass. The glass of water may not change. It doesn't change. But notice when I mentioned all those eight different perspectives, those eight different mindsets, they all viewed the glass a little differently, right? The reality is this. Some view it negatively. Some view it positively. But the glass doesn't change. I may not be able to change my situation in my life much in the same way I can't change the situation of this class, but I can adjust my mindset. I have the control of my mind. Paul viewed the situations and the circumstances that he was in differently than the average person might have viewed their situation. That's what we see when we look at the book of Philippians. He had a particular mindset. Everybody say mindset. mindset. He had a particular mindset that seemed to fill his tank with joy. And some would maybe even call him crazy because he's looking at it differently than the average person would look at it. Despite his circumstances, he seemed to have joy. As we look at Paul, we get this picture of Paul's situation. So let me paint the picture. We talked about this a little two weeks ago. Let me review. At this point in Paul's life, the Apostle Paul had been abused and beaten and whipped eight times. Abused, beaten, and whipped. I don't know if you've ever been whipped, and I'm not talking about with your daddy's belt. I'm talking this guy got hit with lashed because this was how they treated people back then. He was persecuted and threatened dozens of times. He was lost at sea and shipwrecked three times without food and water for long periods of time. 
And now, here's the situation. He's sitting in a prison, chained to a Roman guard, waiting for a trial that would ultimately probably lead to his execution. Talk about a glass half empty. This is a tough situation. This is a difficult circumstance. This is a setback. And here's Paul who could have been sitting there going, wait a minute, I had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus showed up and my life was transformed and now I'm sitting in a prison. I've been beaten and abused. This ain't fair. He could have said that, but he didn't. Instead, Paul's view of his situation was different than what others were seeing. He didn't see it half empty. He saw it overflowing. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Take a look up on the screen. He says this, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything, say everything. everything. He says everything. Not just the good, but the bad too. Everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. This is a man that's living on purpose. He says, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Man, there was something about Paul. His joy tank is full. And the reason why is because he viewed his situation and his circumstances as an opportunity. This is an opportunity. Where others saw isolation in prison, he sees the prospects of salvation. Where others see chains and restrictions to heal. Paul sees connections to unbelievers and believers that allow him an unconventional way to influence. Consider this. If Paul had never sat in prison, we might not have the letter to the Philippians, the letter to Colossians, the letter to Thessalonica, the letter to Ephesians. Because he had time, he was able to write so that Thousands of years later, we can be encouraged by the word of God. Somehow, some way, he viewed his situation in a way that allowed him to be filled with joy. And as a result, this day, today, June 26th, 2022, we can hear the words of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. How would it be if we began to view our situations and circumstances in a way that it might be an opportunity for something greater? That your setback might not be a setback. I heard a story recently about Ronald Reagan. Some of you are too young to even, maybe you know the name Ronald Reagan because you studied it in history books. Some of you are old enough to remember President Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States. But before he was the president of the United States, he was the governor of California. Before he was the governor of the California, he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild in Hollywood. Before he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild, he was a very influential and very famous actor in movies and eventually television. And one time, he had a show 
called the Westinghouse uh, Variety Show. And it was on television. I can't remember the, it was Westinghouse Variety Show, something like that. And he led this show. And typically what he would do during his show was he was kind of politically minded. And when he would get on, he would do his like little opening routine. He would say things like, well, you know, the government is really having a hard time right now. And he would give his opinions on how the government should be ran. A man by the name of Bobby Kennedy didn't like that. The brother of the reigning president at the time, John F. Kennedy. And Bobby Kennedy contacts Westinghouse and says, we don't like what this guy is saying all the time. He shouldn't be down in the government. What we need now is people speaking good of the government. We need positiveness in this government. And so we want you to do something about this Ronald Reagan person. The next week, Westinghouse contacted Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan was fired. He went home to his family, said to his son Mike and his wife, Nancy, and said, well, the show's done. And they said, what's wrong? Well, we got a phone call from somebody at the time he didn't know, from somebody that didn't like the show, and so the show is off the air. The son asked, Dad, what are you going to do? He goes, you know what? Ronald Reagan says, at that moment, things need to change. Things need to change. And it was at that moment when he decided to go into politics. We might not have had one of the greatest presidents of all time leading our country if he had not experienced that setback that motivated him to move forward. What is the opportunity? What is the circumstance and situation that you find yourself in? Paul's mindset was fixed on one thing, the cause of Jesus Christ. He knew what he was to do. His life was anointed by God on purpose to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone. So every circumstance was viewed through the lens of advancing God's kingdom. It was viewed through the understanding that God loves him and has his best in mind. His mindset made it possible for him to know joy. I want to show you another story of an individual who knows joy despite her overwhelming circumstance. Take a look at this video as we kill the lights. Ever since surfer Bethany Hamilton lost her arm in a shark attack when she was 13 years old, she's rightfully been called an inspiration. Getting back in the water was remarkable enough. But this past week, Hamilton did more than just show up. She won. Don Dela reports. She was always something special. Bethany Hamilton won her first surfing championship at eight years of age, her second at 12. A few months later, her life was changed forever. She'd been lying on her surfboard, her arm dangling in the water, when a tiger shark bit it off at the shoulder. So this is where I lost my arm. She also lost 60% of her blood. But Hamilton not only survived, she thrived, seeing her injury as a challenge, not a setback. I look back on that and I think how I wouldn't even change that if I had the opportunity to. And I just see all the doors that it's open. Absolutely unbelievable. A movie was made based on her best-selling autobiography. Her courage inspired millions of people. Hamilton's foundation holds retreats for teenage girls with similar injuries. To show them missing a limb doesn't have to mean missing out on life. It was a really just cool opportunity to let them open up and share what their struggles are. Even with all the public responsibilities, she kept competing, but hadn't won in over a decade. 
Last Thursday on Oahu's North Shore, Bethany Hamilton outscored everyone. A champion in her sport, a champion in life. Don Daly, CBS News, New York. Setback or opportunity? How do you view it? How do you view it? I had the privilege to speak to Bethany a few years back. Uh, one of her mentors is a dear friend of mine. Her name, her mentor's name is uh, Becky Edinger. Becky Edinger has been a part of our life and had gave me the opportunity to meet and talk with Bethany at one point. And uh, when Beck, when Bethany and I got to meet, we were at an event down in South Orange County, and a reporter asked her uh, when I was standing there as they were asking these different questions. They said, "Hey, Bethany, if you could go back and change it, would you?" And they knew, and she knew what they were talking about. Would she go back? She immediately, without hesitation, she said, no way, no way. And I listened to her say these words. She said, I have had opportunities to help hundreds of people and share hope of Jesus to thousands. She views her experience not as tragedy, but as triumph. A setback that created an opportunity. She went on to quote this passage of scripture, which has become a theme passage of scripture for her and one that is very popular. And you might know it. It's found from Romans chapter eight, verse 28 and says this. And we know that God causes everything. There's that word again. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. If you love God and you know that God has called you, you can be confident that he will work out what you're going through, the setbacks, the circumstances, God will work it out. It's a promise from his word for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So how do we do that? What's the practical thing, Pastor Kelly? Well, let's take a look at Philippians, how to adjust your mindset. And for the next five minutes, I just want to show you three little things that we learned from Philippians chapter one. First and number one is this, give thanks always. Let's all say that together. Ready? Begin. Give thanks always. Philippians chapter one, verse three says, every time I think of you, Paul says, I give thanks to my God. Every time he thinks about the church in Philippi, the crazy person who is always in his face, the big person who, who stands in his way, the wonderful little grandma who cares for the young people, he sees all those people, funky and fun. He sees all of them. And he says, I give thanks. I give thanks for them. I give thanks for them. Hey, when a thirsty person looks at this glass, you know what they are? They're thankful for the opportunity to have some water. See, a thirsty person views this not as empty, not as full, but goes, oh, that's what I need. It's an opportunity. Giving thanks regularly breaks the critical spirit and our selfish nature when we give thanks. If we wait to give thanks until everything is perfect, until we have everything we need, you'll never know joy because you'll never be satisfied Constantly longing, constantly looking, constantly wanting. But when we pause and give thanks for where we're at, joy begins to bubble up. When we give thanks for what we have and where we are, we adjust our mindset. My wife Leah and I have been doing this since we were young, young Christians. And we practice this often. See, Leah and I don't own a home. Many of us in Southern California, it's difficult to jump into the home buying market. But we don't look at that and say, oh gosh, 
we don't own a home. We would love to own a home. Absolutely we would. But we don't wait to give thanks to God. We say, thank you, God, that you always provide for us. And even when situations and circumstances change and the home that you're currently living in is no longer going to be your home, if you love God and are called according to his purposes, you know God is going to work something out so you can be filled with joy despite the circumstance. Instead of being an Eeyore like in Winnie the Pooh, oh, your poo is this, and oh gosh, the world is terrible. Instead of viewing life like Eeyore, if only we owned a home, then we would be happy. We give thanks for what we have. Paul, throughout the book of Philippians, is always giving thanks. Number two, how do you do it? Pray for others. Let's all read that together. Ready? Pray for others. Getting our minds and our hearts off of ourselves and lifting up our heads and praying for someone. Look what it says in Philippians 1 9. It says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. I love how Paul does this because at the time, the church in Philippi was being persecuted. And one of the first things he says to them is not, I pray that the persecution stops. I pray that you're protected and safe. He says, No, I pray that your love will overflow more and more because he knows what's going to fill their tank that you will keep on growing in the knowledge and the understanding of Jesus Christ. Throughout chapter 1, the Apostle Paul mentions a few times how he prays for others. He doesn't spend time even saying at the beginning, saying, hey, pray for me. Gosh, I'm having a rough time. I'm in prison. Man, I got this guard over here, and he hasn't showered in three weeks. I mean, this is really rough. He doesn't do that. He says, oh, I pray for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. See, God wants us to be people that despite our situations and circumstances, we're trusting that God's going to work in our circumstances. And so my response is, I'm going to pray for someone else that might be going through a tough time. He brings the needs of others to God. He says in verse 4 how he makes requests for others with great joy. Great joy. Praying for others shifts our mind. It changes our mindset because it gets us focused off of our situation and onto others so that we can be a blessing to others. This week, I want you to try this. I wrote this down for us. Instead of complaining about your boss, how about praying for her or praying for him? Pray for their family. Pray for their finances that they would be blessed. Oh, Kelly, you don't know my boss. She's a jerk. He's a jerk. Man, he's vile. Pray for him. Pray that they would know love. Like Paul said, that their love would be overflowing and that they would know and understand the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Begin to pray for them. Instead of worrying about that hurtful family member who says those things, pray for them to be healed and made whole. Because we all know this, hurt people hurt people. And so if you're being hurt, that person may be hurting. So pray that they would be healed. Instead of letting your dog poop on the mean neighbor's grass, I've seen some people doing that. Pray that their home is protected. 
Pray that they're safe and peaceful. Pray that joy would be in their home. Pray for others, and then you'll know joy. And number three, take a look here. Think on these things. Fix your thoughts. Like the song we sang at the beginning. Fix your thoughts. Think on these things. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 from the New Living Translation. And says now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. One translation says, think on these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, what is right, what is pure, and what is lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, I did a little spoiler. I jumped to chapter 4. We're not even in chapter 4 yet, but I wanted to give you a little look at the end, the secret sauce in Paul's joy. And it was this, that he would fix his thoughts. I love playing with this word fix. I kind of like that translation. You know, think on these things is what what it says in the New King James and in the King James. I kind of like this translation because it makes me think this way. Fix your thoughts on, because sometimes we have broken thinking. We have stinking thinking, you might say, right? Sometimes our thoughts need to be fixed. How do you fix your thoughts? Think on these things. We fret over our current situation and circumstance. Our minds spin and spin and spin, keeping us from sleeping, keeping us bound in worry and fear. There's no joy in worry and fear, is there? There's only anxiety, just stress. But we can adjust our minds by fixing our thoughts. I love that word, fixing our thoughts on what is good. There's a reason why I don't look at the news before I go to bed, because it breaks my thinking. It gets me thinking about negative things. It gets me thinking about strife and arguing and opinions and discord. I want my thoughts to be on good things, not politics, not gas prices. I want my thoughts on good things. Fix your thoughts. To this day, when Leah and I relax and have a night where we're just going to be just the two of us, sit down and maybe watch something on Netflix, my wife always says, I want to watch something, and Rachel would say this with me, I want to watch something funny. I want to watch something fun. I want to watch something good. I don't want to watch something drama. I don't want to watch something stressful. She doesn't want her thoughts to be fixed on the broken. She wants her joy tank to be filled. She wants her thoughts to be on good things. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more great content and information about Refinery Church, find us at wearerefinery.com and our socials, We Are Refinery. If you would like to help support and give to the ministry, visit our website at wearerefinery.com forward slash give. See you on our next episode at the Refinery Church Podcast.